If you don't know who I am, my name is John Nemers, as Brad said. I'm an intern here at Sayleville Church, primarily under the uh, uh, evangelistic side of things, but they got me running around doing all sorts of other stuff, including last summer, um, I got the privilege of taking my beautiful wife, Kaylee. I don't know where you're at, honey, but okay, there she is. Uh, taking her and my two sons, Carter and Zion, to uh, uh, Missouri to preach down there. And that was a really good experience, really good growing time. Got to see a kid come to uh, get saved. So it's just really good. And the whole internship process so far, this whole year, has just been a very good growing experience for uh, both myself and Kaylee. So thank you. I mean, thank you, Sayleville Church. Thank you, staff at Sayleville, for just allowing guys like Curtis, Andrew, and I to get these opportunities. And I'm just hoping now that I don't blow this message, they don't fire me on Monday. <laughs> Speaking of which, we are in the second week of our three-week series titled The Pursuit of Happiness, a topic that Brad had mentioned here. Uh, men throughout the years like uh, John Piper and C.S. Lewis uh, have, have written detailedly about this topic. And those two men in particular have uh, made a big impact on my life, Lewis being far and away my, my favorite author and, and Piper being one of my favorite uh, theologians or influential theologians and preachers right now. And uh, the ironic thing about these two guys is my wife, Kaylee, who I just mentioned, is about to give birth to our third child, who, and that's due in like a week or an hour, maybe. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're right on the verge. We are on baby watch alert, hardcore right now. And the ironic thing is we're going to name our baby girl after both John Piper and C.S. Lewis. So... For me, if I was to say that these men mean a lot to me, and I, I absolutely love what they have to say about this topic, that would be an understatement for sure. But, of course, more important than any one man's opinion about God is God's opinion about God. And Brad last week did a fantastic job of telling us how it's not only okay, but it's biblical for Christians to pursue happiness. And then he wanted to talk about how God is all about the glory of God. The chief end of God is that he seeks after his own glory. And my job today is to talk about the chief end of man and how uh, man, God created man to pursue pleasure in him. And I want to do that by asking two questions. So the first question is according to Philippians chapter 1, or according to Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, uh, why is it that we will only find our fullest happiness and our fullest pleasure by glorifying God? And then the second question is how should we practically find our pleasure in God by glorifying Him? And again, this is all under the premise of man's chief end. And man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy or find pleasure in him forever. Okay? And so what I really want to do in the first question is I want to flesh out the difference between uh, worldly pleasure and uh, um, full and enduring pleasure. Because those two words that preface pleasure mean everything. Full and enduring. So mark them down. Um, now the word pleasure we're all familiar with. Right? You, something may have popped up into your mind when you thought the word. Uh, uh, we're, we know what pleasure is, right? And we have an idea maybe of what the world or how the world views pleasure. Uh, but I, when I was doing some research, I came across an article by a man named Eric Barker, who writes for Time Magazine. He wrote an article titled, How to Be More Satisfied with Your Life, Five Steps Proven by Research. So let's see what our friend Eric here has to say about satisfaction or pleasure. Okay? Step one. 
having close friends. Eric says, having close friends boosts life satisfaction by nearly 20%. In fact, having a better social life can be worth as much as an additional $131,232 a year in terms of life satisfaction. That'd be pretty nice, especially as an intern. Might throw that in there. <laughs> Step two, have a life story. Research shows that meaning in life comes from the stories we tell ourselves about our lives. Step three, have goals. A consistent amount of minor success produces much more satisfaction than occasionally bagging an elephant. Step four, money isn't the answer. I agree with him. Having meaning in life increases life satisfaction twice as much as wealth. And then finally, step five, keep growing. Older people who continue to read and learn are much more satisfied with their lives. So I hope that you're starting to get the, the theme of worldly, how the world views pleasure, how the world views satisfaction, similar to what Brad talked about last week in the song. And mainly, the world thinks that they can find their pleasure and their satisfaction in themselves, right? What, what, what do I need to do to find the most satisfaction for, for myself or my most pleasure for myself? And so I came up with my own definition of worldly pleasure. You can take it or leave it, um, but this is kind of what I came up with. Worldly pleasure is who or what do you need to surround yourself with in order to find the most happiness and the most pleasure in this lifetime? Now, the key to that definition right there is in this lifetime, right? Because it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, that everything that the world offers you, even if it does lead to real pleasure, is ultimately unsatisfying, and it's all temporary, right? I mean, you can take any example you want, uh, job promotion, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, um, any, any friendships, really, all of them, we know that they're, they're ultimately unsatisfying and they're all temporary. So, so where my mind went is my youngest son, Zion. I, I love him. He's adorable. And, every, and he gives me a lot of pleasure, uh, especially when I, when I leave for work and he hears the jingle of my keys in, in my pocket and I hear the little pitter-patter of his feet run up behind me and I turn around and I see this, this blue-eyed, six-toothed, dimpled little boy staring up at me, waving at me with his little hand saying, bye-bye. As his daddy, I find that absolutely precious, right? And it is extremely pleasurable to me. But it doesn't last, does it? No, oh, it's all temporary, and, it's, and the best proof for that is his older brother, Carter. Because <laughs> he doesn't do that anymore, and he used to. I don't know if he's too cool for me already, but he just doesn't do it anymore. The point is, it's temporary, and it's ultimately unsatisfying, because watch this. If I'm putting all of my satisfaction or all of my pleasure in, maybe not my son, but my whole family, like so many of us do, well, what happens when Kaylee takes the boys home, maybe today, and they get in a car crash and they die. Well, they would be gone, along with my pleasure in them, right? And so it's true for any of us, when we try to put our entire satisfaction or our entire pleasure into temporary things, and those temporary things get ripped out from underneath of us because we got fired, or somebody broke up with us, or God forbid, somebody died, and all of a sudden, our hearts are, are, are reaching out in anything at arm's length to try to replace what was just lost. Trying to replace what was just lost. So it is temporary. It is temporary. It doesn't, 
<clears throat> Sorry, I lost my point there for a second. <laughs> it is my first time preaching. Give me a break here. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. It's, it's just like Augustine. That makes it so much. Uh, our hearts, they're, they're desire factories, right? Now I'm catching my mind. Our hearts are desire factories. Uh, they're just constantly churning in and out desires. And that's why Augustine, he was so wise when he said our hearts are absolutely what? Restless until they find their rest in you. And this is not just a, a non-Christian problem, right? This is a Christian problem. We do this in the church all the time, do we not? We find more temporary satisfaction uh, uh, apart from God than we find pleasure in God all the time. Do we not? <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'm just losing my mind here for a second. <laughs> Okay, uh, no, no, we do not. We find more temporary satisfaction in the world than we find satisfaction in God all the time. Um, so the question really ends up becoming: if our pursuit, or if our, if our, uh, um, if our pleasure has a time limit, or if it's temporary, is that the the fullest, most enduring pleasure that we could ever possibly have? And the obvious answer is no. Um, it's not, and the Bible tells us that it's found elsewhere, right? And God actually commands us to chase after that pleasure, right? And that's a new concept for a lot of Christians, is it not? That God actually commands us to chase after pleasure? Um, that, and just like Piper said, it's, it's our dangerous duty to delight in God. That's a, that's a new concept for a lot of Christians. I mean, because imagine I come up to your, your, your son, Billy, here, who's going to be a freshman in high school, and I go, Billy, you know what you need to do? You need to chase after pleasure. And not only do you need to chase after pleasure, you need to chase after the, the fullest amount of pleasure possible. I think if I said that to a lot of you, you, you parents out there, you guys might have a heart attack if I said that, right? Because for so long, we have constantly uh, correlated pursuing pleasure with pursuing sin, but not necessarily, right? Because God commands us to chase after pleasure, because our fullest pleasure is not found in the world. Our fullest pleasure is found in God, right? Hopefully, my mind's on track, and I'm not going to screw up anymore, but that's okay if I do. It is my first time. Again, who cares what I have to say about this, right? I'm just a 24-year-old punk who got saved six years ago. It's all about what God has to say about this, right? So that being said, let, let God's word back me up here, all right? Let's see what the word of God has to say and how God commands us to chase after pleasure. Psalms 37.4 says, delight or, or enjoy, or find pleasure in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalms 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed or happy is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 16, 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. And, and that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for fullness of joy. We're looking for fullness of happiness, Fullness of pleasure, where is that found? The psalmist tells us, it's in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then finally, you get to Philippians 1, 20 through 23, where Paul, uh, Paul really tells us why we will find our fullest pleasure by glorifying God. And this is what he says, starting in verse 20. 
He says, my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body. Now, when Paul says highly honored there, you, you could substitute that word for magnified, like a, like a telescope magnifies a star and brings it, what is already big, into closer view to make it look like what it really is, which is massive. Or you could substitute it for the word glorified. The main idea that, that is that Christ would be made to look amazing. So Paul says, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's important. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I do not know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. Now, this is what I want you to get right here. Paul says, I long to depart, or to die, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Now, I, I want to follow Paul's logic here. I want to follow his reasoning, and specifically, his correlations between death. And the first thing he tells us is that death is gain. But why is death gain, Paul? Well, it's gain because of verse 23, right? Because Paul says to depart or to die and to be with Christ or to be in the presence of the glorified Christ, the same Christ that we read about in Revelation 1 and we see in the Mount of Transfiguration, to be in the presence of that Christ is far better. Well, far better than what, Paul? Well, apparently, what Paul is saying is that to be in the presence of Christ is far better than anything and everything. Far better than the best of your relationships. Far better than the best job opportunities you could ever possibly have. Far better than a hundred years of self-gratifying pleasure. What Paul is saying is that being able to enjoy the presence and the intimacy of God is far better than anything this world could offer us. So do you believe that? Do you believe what Paul is saying? Do you believe what uh, the psalmist is saying in Psalm 1611 when he says, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore? Well, if you're a Christian, you better because Paul says our job here on earth is to make much of that truth. That enjoying God is far better than anything we experience here on earth. Now, we do experience tiny glimpses of God's pleasure here on earth, right? When you see a, a, a sunset, it's a tiny glimpse of God's pleasure, right? And when you, when you taste good food in your mouth, like my mom used to make me on my birthday hamburger and rice. It's the weirdest sounding meal you've ever had before, but it's amazing, right? It has rice, it, it has a hamburger on it, crushed uh, uh, cheese and, and Doritos and salsa. You mix that all together, you eat it, it is pleasurable, it is amazing. It's a tiny glimpse of how pleasurable God is. <laughs> or seeing your child born, or, or looking into your spouse's eyes and falling in love, all of these things are tiny glimpses of how pleasurable God is. But if you're a Christian, and you die and you go to heaven, you're, you're not going to experience a tiny glimpse of how pleasurable he is. You're going to get the whole thing, which Paul says is far better so it's through our death that we find our fullest pleasure and our fullest happiness because we will be in the presence of God. And it is through our life that we glorify Christ or make what Christ did for us through his death and resurrection look absolutely amazing to the rest of the world. We do that because we are holding on like a precious treasure to the promises of Christ. 
The main one being that we're going to spend forever enjoying him in his presence. And when you start to think that way, when you start to let, let this kind of thought process cycle through the, the rest of your life, what happens is you end up living a sacrificial life that doesn't just find sunsets and hamburger and rice pleasurable. It finds even suffering for Christ a joy. Because what's the worst thing that could happen to you? Well, somebody could kill you for, for your testimony of Christ, right? And all they would be doing is sending you to your fullest amount of pleasure possible. That's why when you think this way, you can say things like James in chapter 1, verse 2, and he says, count it all joy, brothers, when you experience various trials. Or like David Livingston, the, the missionary to Africa, who spent his entire life slaving away in Africa for, for the gospel and sacrificing his body, being mauled by a lion, and his time and his efforts. And when he provocatively said at the end of his life, I never made a sacrifice. Now, how could he say that? In America, we can't even wrap our minds around that, right? We can't even give up a weekend, yet David Livingston gave up his life, and yet he said, I never made a sacrifice. Well, he could say that because he was pursuing his fullest, most enduring pleasure by glorifying Christ in his body and looking ahead to the, the, to the promise of spending forever enjoying God. So all that to say, yes, Sayville Church, pursue pleasure, but pursue your fullest pleasure, not your temporary pleasure, your fullest pleasure that's found in God. And if you don't, not only will you be disobeying God's commandments, you'll also be fighting against the way in which God created you, right? Because it's natural for us to desire pleasure. It's natural for us to desire happiness, right? Uh, and I can't help but look at that truth. I mean, I guess you could say uh, trying not to desire pleasure is a lot like trying not to breathe. Have you ever tried not to breathe before? What happens? You breathe on your own, right? You just have to. And the same thing is true for happiness. It's, it's natural for us because that's how God created us. And I can't help but look at that truth and say, what an amazing apologetic for the existence of God. Have you ever thought about that? If you ask yourself why that is, that there's something inside of us telling us that, oh man, I ought to be satisfied, I ought to be fulfilled, so much so that we write movies and we make books about them, right? I mean, what does every Disney movie have in common? Happy ending. And they all lived happily ever after, right? But when you look at reality, that's clearly not the case, right? People, things, they let you down. They cheat on you. They die. You, you get flood damage, you get fired. It, it burns. There's no such thing as a happy ending in this lifetime. Yet, it's like there's something fighting within us saying, yes, I, I know that that's not what reality looks like, but, but I really feel as if that's what reality ought to look like. Right? It's like there's something pricking us in our, in our conscience saying, something's not right here. You ought to be satisfied, yet you're not. And the reason why we feel that way is because we were made for the presence of God. We were made to be satisfied by God forever. Isn't that amazing to think about? That there's something literally inside our mind or conscience or whatever you want to call it that's pricking at us saying, you are not satisfied, yet you ought to be. C.S. Lewis called these things clues to the meaning of the universe. I like to call them God literally whispering to us through our emotions. Right? That God's whispering to us and his simple message is, I exist 
and you were created to be satisfied by me forever. And until you do that, nothing else will suffice. So I think, I don't, I don't want to put words in Brad's mouth, but I think that that's one of the main points that we want you guys to understand. We want you guys to get, uh, well, we want to understand it first and then teach it to you guys, this idea that we should be getting this, this worldly, this tiny, uh, uh, momentary ideas of happiness and pleasure and just get rid of them and start thinking bigger like eternal pleasure versus momentary pleasure, eternal happiness versus momentary happiness. Because like Brad alluded to last week, uh, Lewis, C.S. Lewis said this is one of our biggest problems as Christians. It's not that we desire pleasure too much. It's that we desire it far too little. All right, listen to what he says. I'll read you the whole quote because it is an amazing quote. Lewis says, If there lurks in the most modern minds the notion that to desire your own good and to earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unembellishing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak." We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with sex and drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see what Lewis is saying? and Piper, and Paul, and all of the other authors who wrote about this. You see what they're saying? What they're saying is that if that passage in in Philippians chapter 1 is true, mainly that it is far better for us to magnify, glorify, highly honor Christ in our body here on earth, and then to die and to go into the presence and enjoy Christ in his presence forever, if that's true, then for us to try and find satisfaction or happiness or pleasure here on earth, we are simply ignorant of how amazing God is. So the answer to question number one, it is when we view the pleasure of knowing God intimately in his presence as infinitely greater than any pleasure we can have here on earth. Then we live our life in complete pursuit of that pleasure, even unto death. Now question number two, how should we practically find our fullest pleasure in God by glorifying him. And of course, you could write an entire, or you could preach an entire series on this, right? Ways to find pleasure in God. Uh, but I can give you two. I can't give you a lot, but I can give you two. And the first one is to start coming to church for your pleasure and your satisfaction. Uh, to a lot of people, that may sound selfish, right? Church is not for your satisfaction. You know, church is for you to serve, right? But again, keep in mind what we've been talking about, because the question really ends up becoming, well, what pleasure are you seeking when you come to church? Are you seeking your, your fullest, uh, most enduring pleasure? Or are you seeking temporary, worldly pleasure? Uh, because if you're seeking temporary pleasure, then you might end up like that person uh, who jumps around from church to church constantly complaining that nobody's talking to them, right? Or that person just, that's just always mad at the staff and they just you know, pound their fist because, doggone it, they're so gifted and they should be used and they're not. What's wrong with the staff? Or you might be like that person who I'm sure all of us have ran into at cell group who's just constantly dominating the conversation because they love to talk about themselves. Don't point any fingers. 
But if that's you, and you're seeking your, your temporary pleasure here at church, then you have completely missed the point. But if you're seeking your full and enduring pleasure when you come to church, then you know that's only found in God. And you end up sounding a lot more like the psalmist in Psalm 42 than you do these other people, because you'll be like the psalmist when he says, oh, how I, like a deer, longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, oh God. When? When can I come before you? When you come to church with that kind of pleasure in mind, it's not selfish, because God is your pleasure. God should not be an added delight to your pursuit of pleasure here at church. He should be your pleasure. To use an illustration that Piper gave me, it would be as if I came up to my wife Kaylee and I said, Kaylee, nothing would please me more than to massage your feet because I love you. At that moment, Kaylee's not going to frown and look at me and say, well, that's awfully selfish of you, John. Why would you try to do something that would please you? This is all about you, isn't it? No, no, no. She wouldn't say that because the basis of my pleasure is found in her, right? And so we should come to church for our pleasure because if we should be coming to church for our pleasure because we should be coming to church in desperate need of more of God, just like the psalmist in Psalm 42. And God is our ultimate pleasure. You see that? The second way that we should find pleasure in God is when we praise him because his promises are so undeserved. Isaiah 61.10 says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. I exalt in my God. Well, why? Why, Isaiah? Why are you rejoicing? Why are you exalting? He says, for he has clothed me in the garments of salvation and he has wrapped me in the robe of righteousness. The best way to find pleasure in God is to think daily about how undeserving you are of his praises or his salvation. Because when you do that, you can't help but praise God. When I think about my life and how God saved me, I can't help but praise God. I mean, for 18 years of my life, 18 years, I claimed to be a Christian. And for years, I made an absolute mockery of God's existence every second of my existence. And God had every right reason, righteous, justified reason to wipe me off the face of the earth, yet he didn't. And after 18 years, he looked at me and he said, John Nemers, despite all your wickedness, I love you and you are mine. Well, why? Why, God? Why would you save me? Don't you remember how many people I led away from Christianity during those years? Why in the world would you save me? I don't know. I don't have an answer. All I can do at that moment is praise him. It's like, as, as Piper said, a father scooping down and saving his son from drowning. The boy does not at first look up at his father and, and explain why he's thankful. He just simply wraps his arm around his father's neck and cries. And that's exactly what I do every time I think about God saving me. That's what all of us should do. Listen to what Lewis said about praise. The most, ozzy, the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poets, walkers praising the countryside. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. I want to give you 
three ways to praise or to find pleasure in God through praising him, and then we're done. So way number one, learn to love your Bible and spending time in prayer. Now that is Christianity 101, obviously, but it is essential for finding pleasure in God. Psalms 119 verse 97 says, How I love your instruction or your law. It is my meditation all day long. So do you, do you love, do you find pleasure in spending time in God's word or, or memorizing scripture or meditating on it? Or here's something pathetic. I could tell you the entire lineup to the Chicago Cubs, yet my memorization skills of scripture are awful. But if we can meditate and memorize worldly things, we should be able to do that with the Bible, right? We should be able to. What about your prayer life? Do, do, you, do you find pleasure in spending time in prayer? Do you find pleasure, like real enjoyment, spending actual time, not like these quick two-minute things, but like maybe taking a day out of your week to, to fast and to actually spend time praying to the God that created you? Do you find pleasure in that? I'm not saying these things are easy, by the way. I'm not saying that meditating and memorizing and learning how to pray is easy. It's hard work. Uh, Tim Keller once preached a sermon about praying, and he said, it's much easier for me to preach a sermon than it is to pray. I've never been in the middle of a sermon and forgotten in the middle of it that I'm, that I'm preaching. We do that all the time when we pray, do we not? You're praying, and all of a sudden, whoop, you're thinking about the grocery list, right? So find pleasure through praising God by loving your Bible, by learning to pray, and then sing God's praises. Literally, Psalms 95 says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And you ever think about that the church is not the only place, but it's one of the only places that actually comes together, not to be sung at, but to actually sing. It's one of the only places in the world that does that. And we get to sing to the God that created us and saved us. So take advantage of that. And when you can correlate your scripture knowledge with what you're singing, your heart cannot help but praise God. And then finally, we can find pleasure in God through praising him by finishing well. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. And this obviously should be every Christian's goal, right? Not to coast through life, but to run to the finish line because we know that what is waiting for us is far better than anything we could ever experience here on earth. But because there are so many men and women uh, in, in the news today and so many men and women in the past like Uzziah and Solomon that for whatever reason have just fallen flat on their face at the end of their life after living a godly life. I do want to humbly, as a 24-year-old, first-time preaching, he's going to make mistakes the first time he gets up there, a guy who knows nothing about nothing, okay? I don't know if I could prove that anymore. <laughs> I want to humbly encourage the senior saints in this room to finish well. Now, I know that I don't know much, but I do know that God wants you to say exactly what Paul was able to say, that you have fought the good fight, you have finished the race, and you have kept the faith. And I'm thinking about my friends, Randy Buby and, and Chuck DeClean and, and Dick Ober. I, I want you guys to finish well. I want to be able to see that in you so young bucks like me can look at your life and say, 
yeah, it can be done. It can be done. So I encourage you guys, senior saints, finish well. And we all should be praying to that end, should we not? So I asked, uh, I started this message off by asking two questions, and I'll finish it by asking two questions. Is your pursuit in life the full and lasting pleasure of enjoying God forever? Or are you still chasing after the temporary pleasures of this world? And if you are chasing after the full and lasting pleasure of this world, or of, of enjoying God forever, are you willing to put in the work it takes to find your pleasure in God by glorifying Him through your life and through your death? Let me pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I, uh, I thank you for Sable Church. They have been through uh, a lot with me. Uh, they've seen me um, get saved, uh, which is absolutely precious to me. They've seen me stumble through the first 10 minutes of my first sermon. <laughs> I got to preach in front of them. And Lord, I love them for that, and I thank you for them. Lord, I, I want to pray in, in the light of, uh, in the words of St. Augustine, Lord, because it is, it is hard work to uh, learn how to find our pleasure in you, Lord. So, so in the words of Augustine, would you command what you wish, but give what you command, Lord? Would you please allow us to be able to find our pleasure in you and to really enjoy you through our, through our Bible reading, through our prayer, uh, through our praises, and through our entire life that we would just finish well uh, f- with our full eyes on the glory to come, Lord. We love you. In your son's name. Amen.